covering the German startup scene with news, interviews, and live events. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Joe from StartupRate.io, your startup podcast and YouTube blog from the German speaking area, as well as founder and host of Startup.Radio, the world's number one tech entrepreneurship radio. Today, I do have a special guest here with me, winner of the special award for the German Startup Awards 2023. Hey, Sebastian, welcome to my show. Joe, thank you very much for having me. It is a pleasure to have you here. And we have to tell that there are many, many things that are special about having you in my show. And the um, the inflection point is you having won the special award at the German Startup Awards. Congratulations for that, by the way. Thank you very much. You are not only a journalist, you are editor-in-chief. Is this the right title in English? Yes, you can say so. The editor-in-chief of Handelsblatt is something we quote on a regular basis in our news, and it's one of the most important, I would say, daily business newspapers in Germany. Would you agree? Yes, I think it's the only uh, daily business paper we have in Germany right now. We have quite a few blogs and big sites like Bloomberg and FT, but they don't really um, cover German um, business like we do on a daily basis. So you can say um, it's the only daily news organization covering economics and business. That's interesting because that's also part of where we are making our living. So basically we go underneath what the big guys are covering and everybody wants to get a deeper look inside the startup world. That is basically where they find in English us and in German, they would rely on you. Um, when, when we've been talking before, one of my professors at universities once said that we learned 20% of what we need from business from university, 40% from the job, and another 40% from reading publications, like at the time he quoted Financial Times Deutschland, which is not with us anymore. Would you agree that you also have not only a duty to inform, but also to educate your readers. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to put it. I would say, look, what we do is uh, we, we we cover uh, what's going on in the business world, um, like twenty four seven, all around the world. But also, uh, what we see in Germany is that the un general understanding on what's actually happening in the business world and how the economy really works, the, the general understanding is not that good over the whole society. So we understand ourselves definitely as a publication trying to educate and to inform. And that's why we don't only publish a newspaper. We we have a much bigger uh, website. 85% of our subscribers are digital already. But also, and that's very important, we do have a lot of conferences and bigger and smaller um, um, ways to get together around certain topics. And this can be um, general questions around the economy, but also how companies can cope with the challenges um, they see right now concerning AI. So yes, that's definitely part of our job. And I have to tell that in the conferences, you always have the big guys. You fly in some people from the US, like uh, Federal Reserve. You have chancellors here 
um, at the events and so on and so forth. They're really, really high level. Um, but before we get into all of that, uh, let's talk a little bit about your life because I've been looking through your LinkedIn profile. By the way, everybody who would like to learn more can come down here in the show notes. And of course, we linked your LinkedIn profile and I found you one of the very few guests that I have who have their own Wikipedia article. Very important. <laughs> Um, you, with a yeah. with a very very old picture, I don't know who 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 pulled this picture, but it's like fifteen years old when I had a lot more hair right than I do right now. Uh, I have two boys. I run my own <laughs> business. You see the hair is thinning out as well, so don't worry about that. Um, you you had many stops in news outlets in Germany, and that is also known to international audiences. Bild, Welt, N24. Welt is, 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 is a big newspaper and N24 is a news broadcaster, TV station they bought. Uh, Neue Zürcher Zeitung, Financial Times, Spiegel. And for a long time, you have been at the German Business Week, Wirtschaftswoche. And what I found most interesting is you have been the first editor in chief at the Huffington Post here in Germany at the introduction of the German version. Can you run us through a little bit all the stuff that you've been doing there? Yes, I would love to. So um, quite a few um, stops in my career you mentioned were um, internships at the be beginning of my career. Uh, so that was a, the idea was to get a broad understanding how the different publications work and which way I will go eventually. But um, I must say, I started with business journalism and I ended up in business journalism. I tried everything else, but it turned out that this would, is the best thing for myself. So what, what happened then was um, during university, I was studying economics and politics. I started working for the German edition of the Financial Times, which was a fantastic a startup project trying something completely new a more newsy kind of business journalism in germany so that was the the idea by that time they had great uh, great writers and uh, a great editor and um, a fantastic team that was uh, my way into business journalism and um, i learned a lot during that time because um, it was a very young very small team and the I, as a student i i worked late shifts there but I could um, work like all the other editors did as well. I had a, a great, uh, that was a great way to learn how the business really works. And um, after that, I went to a, a journalism school. Um, it was called the um, Holzbrink School for Business Journalism, which is actually the um, traineeship from um, our publishing group. And uh, because my idea was not only to stay there in daily business journalism, I wanted uh, more. I wanted to learn how to do investigative reporting, how to do magazine reporting. And I needed a traineeship to, to learn all that. And that's why I went uh, first time to Düsseldorf. That was around 2005. Had a, a good one and a half years doing all that. And then got the job at Wirtschaftswoche. And that was very interesting because uh, the editor by that time was very interested in Asia. He was um, uh, he was uh, an expert in everything that happened in China. But I don't know if everybody remembers, that was 2005 when the whole world were discussing whether China or India will take the uh, play the big role in future. 
it was it was not as clear as it is today that it's china so and um during university i uh, wrote my thesis uh, for six months in india so i knew quite a bit about the country and so he hired me and said in one and a half years you are going to india as a correspondent and you will stay there for a couple of years and report what's going on in india so um i went to wirtschaftswoche but then a couple of months later uh, he went away <laughs> he got another job and the new editor was not so interested in asia anymore so um there was no correspondent job for me anymore and so so from there um um i got an offer going back to financial times uh, deutschland which uh, was a fantastic um, um opportunity but then i got my first leading role as an um editor for the science and technology part of Wirtschaftswoche. And during that time, I started more and more covering the startup scene, the tech scene that um, came out of the ashes after everything went down the toilet uh, um, after the dot-com bubble burst. And around 2006, 2007, I started covering what came new, the new generation of founders. And that put me in touch with all these uh, great minds that are the the most important figures of the German startup scene today. So that was basically the start of my career. I was I was leading this uh, part of the publication for almost eight years. And then you mentioned Huffington Post. Something very interesting happened because all my life I was interested in media innovation, in how uh, our industry is changing. And one day I met Ariana Huffington, this um, bigger than lifetime figure for some people um, on a conference. And we stayed in touch. And one day she called and asked if I could imagine to run the German edition of HuffPost. And it was not a very difficult decision for me because the first time ever I could really show that I'm not only reporting on what's going on in uh, the tech and especially media world, I could really show and, and try out something new. And that was something I, I really wanted to do. And that's what we tried for uh, five and a half years uh, in Munich. It was a um, cooperation together with Border, and it was a fantastic time. I learned everything about digital journalism, and um, was working together closely with the colleagues in New York. Also, uh, got into in touch with all the other outlets like Axios and um, Politico, and these digital pure players you know today because that was the time when everybody said okay there something new is happening and something uh, very interesting um, will take place in our industry so um, it was this uh, this boom time of new digital journalism which ended and we can maybe discuss later why it did so but um, for me it was the best time to learn everything about um, what you need to know in digital journalism we may add for our audience, because a lot of people are listening to this outside of Germany, that Burda and Holzbrink are both media houses, like large publishing houses, owning a lot of a lot of different media outlets. And Holzbrink is also as HV Capital a VC investor that we quote from time to time. It, but it feels like they they are doing less of investment here. 
And it's also, you know, it's very interesting. Both are um, family-run business. This is something you need to know about the German media scene, that um, the big, uh, the big uh, media organizations are basically all family-run. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that gives them some continuity, but also um, the influence of the family, right? I don't know if um, I can't say so for us. So it give definitely um, our um, publisher Dieter von Holzbrink has um, a very long view um, on what's happening in our industry, and he's investing a lot because he truly believes that media is the basis for everything we have in our democracy. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't say there's influence if you say so because um, he is a very traditional publisher and he says look I'm um, organizing um, um, the best framework for you to do the best journalism but there would be never influence on you should cover that or you should cover this in a different way and this is uh, this would be dangerous and I'm very happy that uh, in our group we have never seen that Before we get into uh, what you're doing at Handelsblatt, for which you won the award and which frequently makes me and Chris quote you guys in our news, um, you've been playing with new radio stations in the 1990s with private radio. That was also something very digital for you. Look, the, the funny thing about myself is that I made um, my hobby my profession. So during I was young, my plan was to become musician and I played the violin a lot and um, did, uh, had some successes also in competition and so on. And my hobby was always to write a little bit for regional newspapers and also to follow what's really happening in the media world. And the 90s were, were an interesting time because that that was the era where new radio stations came up, private radio stations, new TV stations came up, and they had big ideas, great plans. I remember uh, when the first group tried to build something like a German-speaking CNN, and I found that very interesting. I, and I always uh, try to follow what the strategies would be, what the ideas and the business models would be, and also how these new digital publication digital um it, it, they were not digital but you know these new broadcasts would change the whole media scene that have been very traditional print um, you had a small number of very important publications and that changed during the 90s and they had big ideas but also big failures i think that's normal in such a time of boom and bust What, what really saddened me was uh, when the Financial Times Germany, Financial Times Deutschland was shut down because that was like the only regular newspaper I ever subscribed to and that I actually read. Um, so we do have to talk about the subscription for Handelsblatt. But uh, but yeah. yes, I was very sad as well. Look, um, it was the first editorial team I worked for for a couple of years. So for me, it was also a journalistic home for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And the Financial Times Deutschland had a very important role to play for all media houses in Germany because what they brought in was this very newsy investigative journalism 
um, after like traditional newspapers until then mostly reported what companies were saying, what uh, they heard on press conferences and so on. And they, a lot of them didn't have this approach to really find out something new to, to, to write what's happening behind the scenes to ask the really hard questions. And uh, during that time, it changed. It was not only the Financial Times, the whole culture changed in the media scene, but the Financial Times did this disruption for business journalism in Germany. So you can say that they, they were playing a very important role and they had some of the brightest minds in German journalism by that time. And you, you find them now all over the place. Stefan Klusmann, the former editor in chief, he was after that editor of Stern and later manager magazine and, and, and then Spiegel. So, and a lot of these journalists from Financial Times Deutschland really, um, moved the whole uh, media scene in Germany in the years after that. So the publication went away, but the culture stayed. And I think that's a great thing. Mm -hmm. For me personally, it was not only that, but also that it basically moved the tone of the article from really um, the, the, the formal level in which our books, school books written mm -hmm. down to really spoken language. That yes. was also something that really attracted me. And actually, I'm born in Mainz and raised there. And the I'm so so much not a football fan like uh, Bundesliga and so on and so forth. I only realized that um, Mainz 05, the, so uh, the football club of the city of Mainz, got into Bundesliga because I read it by accident in Financial Times. <laughs> I vividly remember that. Um, okay. And at one point you have been, oh, before we get into that, you said, um, you've been, uh, writing your final thesis in India. How spicy can you eat? Oh, I can eat very spicy because you must know that half of my family is Indian now because my wife is British Indian. And um, so I, I got used to very spicy food, and I liked it before also. Um, so yes, uh, I'm 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 ready to to do any competition. <laughs> Maybe not on a podcast though. No, no need to do that. And um, you then moved into your position at Handelsblatt in 2018. Can you take us through your journey, what you did there? And also, I want to mention that 2022, you won the award for the best editor-in-chief in your resort. Yeah, that was a, a great honor. And um, I don't know how I deserved it. So you, you might ask the jury, but I was very happy to be named best editor that year. Yeah, so 2018, um, when, when we think about uh, um, Handelsblatt, I... I was in a in a situation in Munich that with HuffPost we did we did the first uh, successful steps. It was one of the top ten uh, news websites in Germany. The team was around thirty people, and my position was okay. Now we have to take it to the next level. We have to invest. We have to, uh, to especially to invest in investigative reporting because this is something that would differentiate us. And by that time, they wouldn't want to do this invest so i was looking around what would uh what what's what's going on um else and 
I did um, got in touch with the um, with the former editor of Handelsblatt and um, who who by that time was CEO of the Handelsblatt Media Group, and he was looking for somebody who is leading the digital transformation of this publication. And we talked for quite some time. I think we talked for more than one year. And suddenly everything was right. And I thought, okay, this will be my next step. So I did something because I'm from Hamburg and I always had a problem with Düsseldorf because it's much smaller and it's very different to Hamburg. And everybody from Hamburg wants to go back to Hamburg at one at some point. So when I moved away from Düsseldorf to Munich, I thought I will never come back. So I did something I would have never expected. I came back to Düsseldorf. Where the <laughs> where hundreds blood? <laughs> do, do, do you want me to edit out what he said about Düsseldorf in the final publication? <laughs> so I think I think um, it's all right like that. And um, and so then by that time, Handelsblatt was um, a great brand. They invested a lot in 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 great journalism and um, had these big conferences you mentioned before so the business model was fantastic but we also saw that the did the print subscription was going down the advertisement in print is going down so the business model was in stress mm -hmm. and um, so the plan was to completely change the business model and to make it a sustainable digital business model. And that was the task by that time, 2018. And uh, today we do, uh, as I said, we do have 85% of our subscribers um, purely digital. Um, we do, we, we still print and we will print for many years. So that's not a problem for us. But what we did in the last couple of years, we completely changed the focus of the whole company uh, in direction digital. So when I came 2018, there was a lot of focus on print. In the, When the editors came together in the morning, they would talk about a lot, okay, what will be first page, what will be third page? And everybody was talking about the paper and nobody really talked about what's happening digital. But more and more people came via digital. And also for many years, there was not um, a lot of invest in digital, um, uh, in digital technology. The edit, um, the, the um, content management system was, system was very old. Uh, the website needed relaunch and everything. So we had to change basically everything in the last couple of years. So we, we, uh, we changed the infrastructure. But we also changed the whole culture of the company, and we made a um, we made a digital first um, editorial team out of a print first organization. And that sounds very easy, but it's the most difficult thing you can do to change everything people love and have done for the last twenty five years um, within a couple of months. Because it's mm -hmm. when you are a journalist, it's so important for your piece to be big in print and to be big on page one. So to make them understand how much more important um, it is to to be on the top of the website and to have have a great uh, click through rate and to to make the the reader engage a lot with what you just wrote, it's just different. 
And mm-hmm. um, this is what we started. It's uh, this culture um, change we started 2018. And I must say, uh, we can talk a lot about what we did. The most important thing is uh, the team always asks, okay, how far did we get now in percent? So how far did we get and when is this over? And I always say it's 65%. And then the editors say, but you said 65% last year already. And then I say, yes. And the truth is it will always be 65% because the whole environment, the the way people are using um, content and um, the changing the, the, the way they read is changing so quickly that we have to adapt and adapt and adapt every year. Mm-hmm. That, that made me smile. There's a software company out there. Everybody who's in financial services knows what I'm talking about. They like to also track their progress in terms of percentages. And I once asked them, okay, we're at 1% here. What does it mean? Does it mean the person has found their pencil? So <laughs> it's, 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 it's always very tough to say how far are you, as you said, when the target is moving in terms of percentage, but also what the percentages actually mean. What, but what I found in startups, in scale-ups here in Germany, it's always very good if you can point to an example that is working, for example, in the US. What came to mind when you've been talking is how the New York Times digitized their business model. Did this help you to argue for a digital first strategy and would have been, would have been damaging to you? if that would not have worked for them yeah so it's we have a lot of conversation until today a lot of conversation with uh, new york times was the journal financial times we 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 also went there for a couple of days and had in-depth conversations how they put their strategy how they changed also their strategy Mm -hmm. in the last couple of years so this is something what i really like about the new media industry that everybody's talking to to everybody and tries to learn and even like big publications learn from smaller publications like us and um, because because everybody has the same questions right now nobody is really um, the absolute front runner and yes definitely i mean the american publications the ft have been so much quicker and and started so much earlier with their change in business model they they said uh, we do subscription first for uh, already like 10 15 years ago whereas we in germany had this stupid idea that content has to be free and we can finance we can finance quality quality journalism and um, reporting investigative reporting with advertisement which is an absolute um, stupid idea because the uh, uh, what you earn with each viewer of your content is going down every year. So you see either you really uh, drive your traffic mm-hmm. and um, which um, many publications do with um, publishing stupid content with, uh, with uh, crappy headlines. So either you do that or you earn less money. So this can't work in the end. So what I always say is we are in, in a very interesting position right now because the first time ever in media business we do have a business model that is putting journalism in the center it's it's um it's a lie that that the that giving everything for free is something that came up with the internet 
when you look into the business model of the big publishing groups before, is the truth is they earned 70, 80% um, their money, 70 to 80% of their turnover was mm -hmm. in advertisement. So, and the rest, so, so the money they earned was, was in, with reach. And that's why so many print publications sold quite a few print publications, but also gave away much more to have a high number of uh, readers every day because the business model was not to sell content. The business model was to sell eyeballs to advertisement, to, to advertisers. What we do now is the first time in our history, content is really in the center of our business model. So what we do have to understand every day is how do our paying subscribers really um, read our content? What do they read? What are they interested in? And the most important question is not what do we as editors think? The most important question is what questions do our readers have for us every day, each hour? We don't talk about, okay, tomorrow our front page story will, will be this. We do talk about this at some point. Mm -hmm. But the much more important question is what will be our front page story tomorrow morning around five o'clock? Because um, this is the time right before the big traffic jump will come. So this is the time people really need uh, an, uh, great content from us. And then we, we have to, we have to think about what question do we, do they have? Is, is something newsy happening? We have to talk about it. We have to bring it to them. Is nothing happening? We are, we have to, to think, okay, what could be a question they have now and for example we do bring out for tonight a long analysis um, about the real outcome of the climate conference in Dubai for example because that was one of the biggest news uh, today and in the evening you might have some time to read a little bit longer so a big analysis about that might be the best thing to do tonight and this is the way we do editorial planning right now which is completely different to four years ago Because by that time, everybody was thinking what to do for print. And then when the when the stuff was ready for print, uh, after that, like maybe half an hour or 45 minutes after it has been published for print, it would go into digital. But this could be 14 hours after the news broke and nobody would be interested in the news anymore 14 hours later because all the other sites would have reported it. So that is really a cultural change we did now we do focus on what what to put digital and in the end of the day a fantastic team of editors uh, compose a newspaper out of that i see it's it's a little bit easier for you to have just a one time zone where i assume the vast majority of your audience is located it's it's completely different for me um i'm actually every time i publish something it stretches over something like 36 hours because i start in the us uh, asia europe and then the next day i have it behind the great firewall in mainland china on chimalaya um but, but the, the question for me would be when are those peaks is it between 6 a.m and 9 a.m when the people are reading in the morning first like um on their cell phone on their tablet on, and on the desktop computer it's very very interesting as one fun fact is when you are a paying subscriber for Handelsblatt, you get up earlier 
So the the paying subscriber peak would be around six. The uh, and you can uh, you can read some articles free on the website. So the free reader would come around seven. And we see our audience is on on the way to the airport already, or um, on the way to work, whatever. Yes, we have a we have the biggest peak in the morning, um, as I said, uh, between uh, six and seven. We and this is a mobile peak. It's not a lot of uh, website traffic, um, and most of the traffic um, with our subscribers would be in our app. We have a, a lunchtime peak, which is almost as high. But a little bit less, and we have a, um, another peak in the evenings. Let's say around seven o'clock, when everybody's home, people try to get back to what's happening um, the last day, and this is the time when most people would also read the e-paper. So th this would be the electronic version of our uh, newspaper. I see. I, I have several questions for you because when you've been talking about subscriptions here, um, how do you view the, the project of crowd reporter, meaning a crowdfunded journalism entity that is basically financed by having additional members? Is that like the long term future of journalism? I'm not the biggest fan of saying this or that way will be the long-term future because the future will have many different ways of financing journalism. The only thing I can say is that the pure advertisement-based uh, journalism will die out for many companies. This won't be a way to finance at least quality journalism. And so, so the rest is open. There will be mixed models. So there will be pure subscription models. There will be member models. I think there will be foundation models as well. We don't see that so much in uh, Germany, at least, but we see quite a f few big ones in the United States. I think this will this will be a trend as well for the next years, and there will be new ways of collaborations. There will be also billionaires buying newspapers like they do in, in, in France, but also the United States. Um, so all different mm -hmm. kind of ways. And everybody can uh, think about what, what the best way would be. But what we can say is that the old way doesn't work anymore. And we have to think much harder how to first attract audiences, which is great, because I think the way we think now about journalism makes our journalism better because we have never understood um, as good what people really expect from us. And now somebody, some think, okay, is it is it great when you only run what the numbers tell you? This is not what we do. So we, we say we are not uh, number driven, but we are number informed. So we use the analytics to understand if the journalism we plan, if our reporting really is getting to the people that are paying for us. And if we have a great uh, reporting where 12 uh, journalists did research for six, seven months, this can happen. Mm -hmm. And only a few thousand people would read it in the end. We would have a debrief and think and talk about why that happened and how we can this kind of story in a different way next time to attract more readers because this is what we want. We want to do great 
reporting and relevant reporting, and we want to attract the most number of readers possible. We you've you've been talking before about questions, questions your audience have, and I I was thinking, how do you get to those questions? Do you get regular emails? Do you have like open feedback on your website, or do you actually use an AI to scope the interest? So we we do have a few of these things. We do have feedback on the website. Uh, we we get a lot of emails, but we go, also get a lot of signals what people actually want. And um, I mean, let's talk about COP again, COP twenty eight. So mm -hmm. the 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 last paper came out uh, came out this morning. It's clear that there will be some questions about it and we would say okay what are the most important questions now what would people uh, people actually want to know now and what would be the best time to publish and we would have the same uh, with the budget crisis with the national government in germany that we are facing right now it was i mean that was a story handelsblatt basically broke again and again so um, we did not really this is also the, what is very important for us that we not write behind the news we have to set the news this is mm -hmm. what we what we did a lot and and then we know what the questions are when we did a great job answering these questions the numbers are good if not the numbers are not good mm -hmm. i see um we've been talking a lot about digitalization mostly in the realm of journalism of publications but let us get for the last few minutes back to the um thesis for the future of the german startup scene because you are a little bit outside observer and basically you do observe and you do uh, write a lot about it so i was um i was curious um your thoughts about for example green startups because they have been really hyped like it, it feels like the hype of the blockchain startups is just in the past and they've been all almost all crashed and burned what do you think about the green startups will they also go through a hype cycle yeah i mean the hype cycle all the all uh, almost all new trends will have this hype cycle where um, there's this big discussion about the new te technology but the technology actually doesn't reach the expectations and a little bit later everybody is disappointed and after time it it's coming and um, then maybe the audience is under expecting what's happening so yes this this could be i think in the in terms of green startups we have a also a different problem because right now in germany the approach to energiewende which is the big um, energy disruption changing from fossil energy production to green energy production the problem is that the national government is following a very rule-based path it's not a very um it's not a it's it, so so there would be the rule-based path where you where you would tell every company what they have to do which technology they would have to use and it's not a, a, a f f more free approach where uh, the companies can decide uh, how they uh, reduce uh, co2 emissions this these are the two different ways of looking at it and the problem when you have this very rule-based approach is that 
the whole industry is waiting for decisions from Berlin being made about what technology can be used, how long can they use it, and so on and so forth. And that's a very difficult uh, position for investors to, because they don't know if a, a technology, a startup, really can play a big role in future. And, and the the completely opposite approach is being uh, uh, made in the United States with the Inflation Reduction Act, where they only say you have to reduce the most amount of CO2 emissions and it doesn't really matter how you do it. And then that's a very clear sign for the whole technology industry to just develop solutions. In Germany, mm. you would always have to wait, okay, but am I in the, in the real bucket or if not, uh, I don't get, I don't get the state funding. In the United States, it's completely clear. Everybody who's, uh, putting their solutions behind the general goal would somehow get the tax reductions. That's so much more easy and it's so much uh, more clear for the economy what decision to take. And this is something I criticize about the German approach a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think this is why we don't see this big green boom that the government is promising for a couple of years now and they keep on saying that there will be this big boom but it's not happening and i am always wondering why is that and i think this is the clear answer to everything so everybody's waiting for the state to decide something to send some money and that's a very very complicated way of putting things so i'm rather pessimistic but i must say also we do see interesting approaches in this field and i still believe that europe is the best place to develop such um, solutions because what we have is great scientists from our universities you see the biggest number especially in these fields of engineers thinking um, about all these solutions so mm -hmm. what i hope is that the government will understand the next year these this crisis we are in and really uh, set a complete different approach so uh, and and then there will be fantastic solutions and i can't think of a different spot in this world a better place to have this green boom in future so i really hope it's ha it's happening in the next couple of years but there's also an, an, another thing i think i'm i'm thinking a lot about i th so when we talk about digitization we talk a lot about things that happen in the united states um and it's true that this first phase of digitization happened in the united states everybody knows the digitization of Uh, shopping of of entertainment this all happened there but we are in the, uh, in the next phase now and now we talk about how to automize factories how to how to um uh, to, to 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 optimize the way companies work uh, the processes and everything and i think that's an historic opportunity for startups in Europe because the connection between the digital sphere and the um, so the startup scene and companies is really good here. And why would you develop such ideas in the Silicon Valley where you don't have so many big factories producing like big machines for other factories, for example, and cars and so on. Uh, so, 
I think this is something we have to keep in mind. And when we talk about Celonis, which is a great company from Munich, the most mm -hmm. um, valuable startup in Germany right now, that's a very interesting development. And you will see quite a few other uh, companies going in that direction. When we talk about logistics, when we talk about how to organize things within your company, you see a lot of very interesting ideas in these fields. So what I believe is when we look for the next digital revolution coming from Europe, it could be maybe that. And when we take the right decisions in the next years, it could also be the green revolution. It could be. Fingers crossed. Some as we do in Germany here. Um, Sebastian, congratulations again to the special award. It was a pleasure talking to you and we are running now at almost 45 minutes recording. So it was a very long and very interesting interview. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Totally my pleasure. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's all, folks. Find more news, streams, events, and interviews at www.startuprad.io. Remember, sharing is caring.